Good morning. I'm grateful to be here with you this morning as we continue on our journey in this Messiah series. I love, um, well, I love all the series, but what we're talking about today is the Holy Spirit. You know, and as we continue in this journey, we have come to the point where um, we saw, uh, we talked about Jesus' resurrection, right? And now we're in between there where he has been on earth and he's been walking with his disciples and then he's going to ascend and then something happens. I ask you to consider this idea that Jesus may no longer be walking right beside us in human form, if you will, right? Like I can't, I can't literally touch him, if you will, in that way, but he has not left us. And his scripture says, he he says he's not left us as orphans because he continues to be with us through the work of his Holy Spirit within us. And I'm excited to talk about that topic today, to kind of get a little bit deeper into scripture as to what God's word says about that and how we can accept that in our own lives. Even as I prepared for this message this morning, I began to think about this overload of technology because we have so many things thrown at us all the time, right? So many things that can seem like noise in our lives or create chaos. The word that came to my mind was infiltrate. And I feel like this this noise that comes at us from the technology that can be out there, all these things that we have access to, it infiltrates our mind. It infiltrates our heart. And our spirit, and what happens then? It begins to affect the actions that we take. It begins to affect the next things that we do in our life, how we interact with people, just how we live our life. Why did I begin to think of that? Because I thought, as hard as it may be to understand or believe at times, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of all of that noise, the Holy Spirit can the Holy Spirit can lead you to what is true. Even in the midst of all of that chaos, the Holy Spirit can lead you to truth. A.W. Tozer is just uh, um, one one of the ministers, if you will, one of the authors that I love to follow. And this is what he says. He says, there is a majestic nature to the work of the Holy Spirit. I love that, a majestic nature a majestic nature to the work of the Holy Spirit in the individual's heart. It's a word that is comparable to nothing because he says nothing else or no one else can duplicate the work that the Holy Spirit has to do. That is so true. But he says there's a problem. And herein lies the problem as he describes it. He says, Christians, unfortunately, have only a vague idea of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. And because they, let's use the word we, because we do not see like my plan unfolding or the plan that I might have for the church or for my children or for life, we tend to adopt the methods of the world to try to create a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. So we adopt to things out there if we don't see it going just the way that we thought that it should. I think that explanation is so accurate to many of us. We attempt to manipulate things that we have no right and no power to control. And when we do this, in trying to do this, we are left with just a fraction of what could be. Think about that. Because my power, God's power, my power leaves me with just a fraction of what could be if I would only depend on the power that God has given us. So 
I am so excited this morning to dig in and look at who the Holy Spirit truly is and how that complete, how that understanding, how beginning to understand that more in our own lives could change our understanding of God and could change how we move forward in life. So I thought the best way to start is just to start with a few general notes on the true identity of the Holy Spirit. He is not something, he is someone. He is not some divine energy, but a divine person of the Trinity. So important for us to understand. The Holy Spirit is omniscient and all-knowing. We read that in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. He is eternal. We see that because right in the very beginning of Genesis, we read about his spirit hovering over the waters. His purpose is to empower us to know God and to make him known as we interact with others. Listen to Acts 1, 8. This is Jesus' words himself. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So for the believer, let us not adapt to the world's way of doing things, right? To the world's thinking that leaves us powerless. Rather, we have a spirit within us who guides us to holiness, who guides us closer to Jesus. Let us depend on the Spirit of God, because the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God for the Christian life, you and I. He enables us to conform to the image of Christ. He enables us to conform to that image and to be made holy. So important that we begin to understand who he is. One important trait of the Holy Spirit for everybody who is seeking, every seeking heart, is his penetrability. What do I mean by that? He can penetrate the mind, even in the chaos, right? Even when it's confusing out there. He can penetrate the human spirit, and he can penetrate the human heart. He can go places that I cannot. Again, knowing the truth of the person of the Holy Spirit is essential to our faith, knowing what he can do and what he provides for us to be able to move forward. Because living a life in rhythm with Jesus Christ is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. We must have his power to understand and be able to move forward. As I was thinking, I thought, wow, this is a big subject this morning. But then I was reminded anything about our Lord is a big subject, isn't it? So I'm hoping we can walk away with a little better perspective by considering three specific questions this morning. What did Jesus teach about the Holy Spirit? Second, how do we see Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit fulfilled in the early church? And then third, how is the Holy Spirit significant in our lives today? Let's dig right in and look at that first point. What did Jesus teach us about the Holy Spirit? To answer this question, we're going to look at John chapter 14. So we're going to be right in there if you want to join me there. But let me set the scene as we get started. Jesus had joined his his disciples at the Passover meal, right? John records how he had taught them the importance of serving one another by washing the disciples' feet. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now, by this time in their relationship, uh, Jesus had already let Peter know, you're going to deny me three times. I bet that had to make Peter step back just a little bit and start to wonder while they were even eating this meal together. And his betrayer, Jesus' betrayer, Judas, he had already left the room by this point in the conversation. 
I love these chapters in John because you really get to hear Jesus laying out the facts for these chosen men and women. I love it because it's personal. It's intimate. Think about it. It's relational. Jesus has a relationship with these men and women in the room. And it's a conversation that will be remembered and recorded, as we know, for generations to come. So John chapter 14, he starts by telling his disciples that he's going to leave and prepare a place for each of them to someday join him. But I'm thinking they're confused. I don't know if I was sitting there, I would be confused. So these are the questions I imagine that are going through their mind when Jesus tells them this. He's going to leave? Wait a minute. How will we continue the mission if you leave us? But you've led us and you've taught us and you've performed miracles, Jesus. You have all of the answers, Jesus. You know the path. You are what the people need, by the way. And you are the one that we love, the one that they love. How can we go on if you leave us? How can we do that? I think Jesus answers their spoken and those unspoken questions as we look again at chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. He says, if you love me, Again, there's a trust there, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I've given you everything. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Lots of key words here in this passage. I think of the word helper. And when we look at that word helper, sometimes we can think, well, it's just somebody we call on periodically. Could you come help me with this or help me with that? That's not what the word means. The word helper is more defined as an advocate. It's kind of like um, someone in the legal field who would be walking right alongside you, a legal advocate to, to plead your case for you. And what I love about this is it's someone who has authority. It's someone who has authority. And then Jesus goes on. He says that this helper will dwell with you and will be in you. It's not just some abstract aura that floats around you. That's not the person of the Holy Spirit. He is a part of you. And you are here this morning. And so he is here with you this morning. He is within you and a part of you in every believer. He teaches them, you will never be alone. I'm not going away and leaving you alone. There is, there's no start and there's no finish here. I will be with you through my spirit. I will be with you forever because that spirit dwells within the heart, in the soul of every believer. You know, I, what I love about these verses is that they help us understand that we have a connection to Jesus and the Father here that is only possible through the spirit that is within you, that is within us. The spirit of God within every believer. He's not a phone call away, right? A call for help. He's not a phone call away. And you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking he is, he's closer than that, but he's closer than even a thought away because my mind wanders. And I'm not always thinking of Jesus, but he's always there with me, even when my mind begins to wonder. And here's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit from um, Tozer. This is what he says. He says, being the spirit of Jesus, you will find him exactly like Jesus. You already know who he is within you. And then we turn to verse 25 and 26, which reminds us that we cannot live and depend on our understanding. We must rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit within us. This is what Jesus says. 
He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So what was our first question? What did Jesus teach about the Holy Spirit? He is the Spirit of Jesus. What we know about Jesus, we know about his Spirit. He is our advocate, our teacher. He is our guide. He draws us to Jesus and the Father. He is one with Jesus and the Father. He brings to remembrance all that Jesus taught. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the Holy Spirit is, and I'm going to use this word knowing it doesn't do justice, but is our conduit, right? To grasping and understanding that truth, to growing in our faith, to believing in Jesus, to belonging to him, to becoming a faithful follower of his, and then to be able to bless others with all that we have received from him. That is who the Holy Spirit is. And we, as we see that Holy Spirit is a part of the plan from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit guides us to a holy life dedicated to God, and here's another key point illuminated through his word. He illuminates the word of God for us. The Holy Spirit never teaches us something that he explicitly forbids in sacred scripture. Can you grasp that? So when I am struggling with a decision, when I am thinking, should I go this way or should I go that way? I must remember that, that scripture is God breathed. Why would he contradict himself by going against his own word? He wouldn't. So when I'm seeking those answers, when I need answers to those questions, I look to God's word illuminated through the Holy Spirit. And he can provide me with clarity. He can provide me with direction and he can provide me with some peace. I don't have to wonder anymore if it goes against God's word. It is not the Holy Spirit. So we look at our second question. How did we see Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit fulfilled in the early church? We've heard what, what Jesus said. How did he do this? How, did, how was it fulfilled in the early church? And so to look at this, we're going to turn to the New Testament book of Acts. I love this account because I think it demonstrates for the first time the real power of the Holy Spirit at work in a new way in those early believers, in the early church. So again, I'm going to set the scene for you a little bit as we turn to Acts. Right in the beginning of the book of Acts, it teaches us about what happened after Jesus rose. And the first chapter gives us some insight into the things that he did that during this short time, kind of between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. Listen to Acts 1, 2 to 5. Again, uh, it opens talking about all the teaching of Jesus, everything that he did. He was doing all of these things. And then as we read, until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Some of these things that he was speaking about are already going to come into being. Prior his, to his ascension, 
Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples in many, many ways. It says there were many proofs. And now through his spirit, we are about to read how he would reveal himself to many, many, many more to us even today. So let's look at that event up close. We're in Acts chapter two, verses one to four. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had given them utterance. I love the part of this that the disciples were all together. They were unified now, right? In their belief and in their mission, no more wandering, no more wondering. They had come to a place of understanding and believing. Jesus had had promised that he would provide that helper for them, the Holy Spirit. And now they were going to experience the full effects of his promise in a brand new way. I love how they could see, right? They could see what was happening. They could see, they could hear, they could feel. They even could express what was taking place. No mistaking, if you will, that something was in the air, right? Quickly, they were able to speak in languages that were not their own. The verse tells us it was the spirit who gave them the ability. They couldn't have done it before. Jesus told them to wait, remember? But they could do it with the Holy Spirit who was within them. The chapter goes on to explain that every nation under heaven was present. And I love this, including devout people who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Pentecost. And they were now hearing about the mighty works of Jesus, their Messiah, the one that they had studied for so many years and were unfamiliar, didn't recognize at first. They were now hearing about all of the promises of Jesus in their own language. But of course, the passage also mentions mockers. You know, there are always mockers. That's why I bring this up. If we think we are the only generation to experience doubters, I think this example in Acts reminds us that there have always been and there will always be those who refuse. Always there will be, but we have the spirit of truth within us who guides us beyond that misunderstanding. And I don't think it was their questions that were bad per se, because questions are good. I love it when we get questions. That's how we learn and grow. That's how I learn and grow. Because there were also some in the crowd who questioned out of sincerity. They really wanted to know the answers. They were truly seeking. They asked, what does this mean? And so what do we do now? Okay, you've told us all this. Now what do we do? I imagine the crowd's murmurs. And then I think of Peter standing up, right? And the crowd maybe quiets just a bit. And I think this is a miracle within itself because remember, Peter had had denied Jesus three times. Peter hid who he was, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We know, however, that Jesus addressed this with Peter. He just didn't leave him hanging, wondering, what now? What am I going to do? Look what I've done. He addressed it with Peter during that time that he spent on earth prior to his ascension. They were by the lake after breakfast one morning, and I'm not going to turn there with you, but the story is in John chapter 21 if you want to read it. Just as Peter denied Jesus three times, at that breakfast, Jesus asks him again three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? 
His reply peters each time, yes, I love you, yes. And so Jesus asks him again three times, then Peter, feed my sheep. Keep that in mind for just a moment. When we turn back to that moment in Acts, the people are astonished. They're confused by what is happening. They're going so far as to claim that some people were probably just drunk. But the Holy Spirit has a plan and a purpose, and he is present and he is working. So Peter gets up. What does Peter get up to do? Feed the people of God. That's what he does. Not the food for the stomach, but the bread of life. The truth, the gospel message, the fear and worry that Peter had felt before was now overcome. He was bold as he stood before the people, and he answered the question for them, what does this mean? And we read this in Acts chapter 2, 14 to 18. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel way back when. It was in the plan all along. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit out on, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It was in the plan, again, all along. And then we turn to verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone, So who is everyone? It's slave, it's free, it's man, it's woman, it's Jew, it's Gentile, it's you, it's me, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's been in the plan. And as you continue to read, Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell them the truth to tell them the gospel message that Jesus, the Messiah, they'd all been understanding and studying and reading about, came for a purpose. Jesus would die in their place, in our place, the only acceptable sacrifice. But death could not hold him. We know that. Death could not hold him because God raised Jesus to life and they and many more were all witnesses to this event. And now we turn to verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father that promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see now. And here, it was all coming to be what Jesus had taught and promised. But then there's a more difficult verse in verse 36. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Boy, I imagine the people stepping back a little bit at that news, right? Now it's coming to be. A little bit shocking for them, convicting for some. What would they do next? What would happen? We read how many of the people reacted. They were cut to the heart in verse 37. But they would have to make a choice. They would have to go further. They would have to do something next. Now, they could simply walk away, allowing that confusion or pride or fear to tell them, I'm not going to have any part of this. They could turn away. Or they could seek an answer, humble themselves before the Lord and seek an answer. And I think that's what many did. Many put aside their own feelings, their own misunderstandings, their own um, concerns, 
And many asked the questions, brothers, what shall we do? So as Peter is speaking and explaining, they stand up, what, what then shall we do? What is, it, what is our next step? Help us to understand. And here's Peter's reply, verses 38 to 41. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I read that and I think they have a choice, right? They have a choice. Save yourselves from this wicked generation. So those who received his word, that's the choice. To receive, not because they have to do it on their own. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Miraculous. Amazing. Peter had let go of his past mistakes. He took hold of Jesus and he received the Holy Spirit. And it made all the difference moving forward because through the power of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit within him, the Holy Spirit within Peter, the truth was declared and about 3,000 were saved. Can you imagine what a day, what a legacy, all for the glory of God, the early church had begun to take shape. All for the glory of God. I love what verse 41 says here. When, when you look at the word souls, thousands of souls were saved. The actual word in the Greek is, it looks like our word psyche, but it's pronounced suke. At least that's what they tell me on the um, translations. We see that that same term is used in other areas of scripture, but it's translated as life. So when we look at that, 3,000 lives and more were saved on that day as the Holy Spirit spoke truth through Peter. And the promise doesn't end there because it's for all of us, right? Just as promised for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord and believes. The Holy Spirit is the one who drove the early church movement. He empowered Peter and he empowered the other disciples who guided around 3,000 to be saved that first day. And so we see Jesus' teaching fulfilled. And that's all good. I love that in the early church as we watch that, but we, hit, we still have to look at that third question, right? That third question, how is the Holy Spirit significant then in our lives today? What does that mean for us here this morning? Well, he is the spirit of Jesus. And as we sang and talked about earlier, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is indivisible from the Father and the Son. In addition, he is all God and exercises all the rights of God. He merits all worship, all love, all obedience. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And here's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit, as we learned from Tozer, being the spirit of Jesus, you will find him exactly like Jesus. You already know him as he has illuminated God's word for you. As he empowered the early church leaders, so he empowers us if we are willing to receive Jesus and receive his spirit within us. Because without the spirit of God, we are defenseless against the enemy. He is our advocate. 
Without the spirit of God, we are helpless to fully understand because it is the spirit of God within us who illuminates the truth and brings all things that Jesus taught to light in our lives. Without the spirit of God, we are on a destructive journey, adapting to the ways of the world to do the things that we think need to be done. But the spirit guides us to consider mistakes, to turn, to take a better path. He knows us intimately and he loves us and he wants to guide us into that closer relationship with Jesus. So with the spirit of God, we are transformed. With the spirit of God, we are renewed, we are empowered, we are comforted, we are helped, we are directed, all for the glory of God. The words of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John, again, are true for us today. Let me read to you from 15, verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus' words. He will bear witness about me. So the Spirit was hard at work from the beginning. And he is hard at work today. But we must choose. Just as those 3,000 chose that morning in the city of Jerusalem. Think about this. Many of those same people praised him when he entered the city on Palm Sunday as we celebrate. Many of them mocked and accused and crucified him on that Good Friday. And then many of them turned from their past toward his mercy, toward his grace when he conquered death for them, when he died for them and rose again. Just like them, we have a choice to turn away or to turn toward our Heavenly Father. A choice to accept Jesus. And I want to stress this here. When you make that choice, it's more than a momentary emotional response, if you will. Because through his spirit within you, it is an inner working that begins to take shape right away. It's an inner working. When you accept Jesus, you are not alone. You're not left as orphans. You are not on your own. You have the spirit within you working with you and in you. And from that quote of Tozer, it's a mystery, isn't it? But it's okay if it's a mystery because we can believe in truth. I know that inner transformation is true because we are all called to go and share his gospel message with the world around us. And he does not ask us to do something that he will not equip us to accomplish. And he does that through the Holy Spirit for his glory. So with the spirit of God, we are conduits of his gospel message. The spirit of God is the advocate of truth then and now and for all eternity. Again, the key point, the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God for the Christian life, you and I. He enables the process by which we are conformed to the image of Christ and by which we are made holy. He does that within us. It's not something I can do on my own. And there's a mystery in it all. So we started this morning considering information overload, right? How do we hear and know the truth? Well, I want to share with you that technology can be good too, right? I'm going to share a a story with you um, that happened to us last year. You'll all remember when Hurricane Ian struck Florida last year. Because the hurricane turned unexpectedly, my sister and her family were right in the middle of where it was heading. 
was heading right for them. No time to get away, only time to gather water and flashlights and candles and batteries and fill the tub, I guess. That's all that they had time to do. And as the worst of it was pounding down on them, my sister and her family hunkered down in a closet, four of them together. The roof started to come apart. The water began to seep in. Here I was, here we were all safe in New York, right? Watching the news and the progression of the storm as it slowly approached and began to cause havoc. The current technology gave us a frightening view of what was taking place thousands of miles away. And eventually, my sister could no longer see the news herself. Her connection was lost, so we were her connection through texting pictures of the hurricane's status. Somehow that still worked. I don't know how. So we tried to help her to say, you're halfway through. You're going to get there. It's going to be all right. You're going to make it. When the winds might begin to die down, we could share that with her. When we could see the eye of the storm, we said, just wait, it's coming. You're going to be all right. And then when the eye of the storm passed just below her and she continued to be pounded, we could let her know, too, that she was going to be okay. We could pray with her. We could encourage her. We could guide her. We could walk beside her from thousands of miles away. We weren't there with her physically, but we were with her through the ability to connect through the texts back and forth, and her battery made it. I don't know how, but her battery made it. There's so much more to this story that I don't have time to tell you, but I want you to know that the morning did come. Their house is on a little knoll, so they dared walk out of the house early the next morning. The water had come up halfway in the driveway, in the front of the house, and it was all the way to the back door in the back of the house. They are on the bank of a tributary to the Mayaka River, if you heard talk about that or if you remember that. And so there were, it was even, she told me as she went outside, at one point there was an alligator in between her and her neighbor's house, right? So they knew, let's stay inside. Let's not go into those waters. They could see that the neighbor's car had floated away, but somehow theirs was still there. They couldn't see the road, only water. And it would take more than a week for canoes and kayaks to bring them supplies before they could even begin to consider leaving. The landscape around them had permanently changed, never to be the same again. But they emerged from the house unharmed that morning. And my nephew, who turned seven last week, said this, that God is a good guy. When he woke up and he saw the water had stopped, That God is a good guy. Now, I know they're still working on restoration even today. And I know that many lives were lost in this tragedy, and I don't make light of that. But the hope is that in that little boy's words, our God is a good guy. So good, in fact, that he died and left his spirit so that we could have direct communication with him at all times. I am so grateful for the technology that allowed us to stay in touch with my sister. When everything went down, it was like we had an inside track, right, to what was happening for her. We communicated through the storm, and she and her family were not alone. But they weren't alone anyways, were they? Because they had the Holy Spirit with them. The Holy Spirit is the true inside track in your life. No matter where you are, he is with you, not dependent on technology to keep the communication alive, right? He lives within the heart and soul of the believer. He is with you even when my mind wanders. He is with me. No matter the state of the noise and the chaos that may surround me, no matter the state of the world around us, don't live with the vague idea 
of who the Holy Spirit is. Don't adapt to the methods of the world. Rather, rely on the truth that you have within you. Let his truth be your hope. Because truth has stood since the time began, and it will continue to stand for all eternity. It is not lost, no matter the chaos that swirls around us. The Holy Spirit continues to work in the world and in his people with a direct connection penetrating the mind and the heart and the soul of all of us as only he can do. Nobody else can do that for us. Or have you let him have a place within you? Maybe you'll consider taking that step of faith today in the quietness of your own spirit. I ask you today to talk to Jesus. In the quietness of your own spirit, have a conversation. He had a conversation with his disciples that night. He wants to have a conversation with you. He is listening. We're going to close with a song that is reminiscent of the Holy Spirit's eternal nature as his spirit hovered over the waters. And his power at Pentecost when he moved in the life of 3,000 people and they were forever changed. When they accepted Jesus and the spirit began to move within them, it was powerful. And it continues to be powerful for us today. So may we allow his spirit for those who have never received Jesus, allow his spirit to rest on you. Allow his spirit to fill you with a power that is uh, nowhere else to be found. Would you join me as we close in prayer this morning? Lord, I'm overwhelmed when I begin to think about your promises and I pull it all into place. From the very beginning, you knew that we would never be left as orphans, that we are a part of your family, a part of a bigger picture, a part of eternity. Then, now, and the future to come, Lord, your Holy Spirit guides us and directs us and loves us and with, with us, within us, not a phone call away, not even a, a thought away, Lord, because you're with us even when we aren't thinking in the right place. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. Thank you that you continue to be with us and guide us and love us. And I pray for any out there, even this morning, Lord, who have yet to take that step to call you their Lord and Savior, to accept you, Lord, would you draw them in? And Lord, I pray that as the Spirit begins to move within the people, Lord, that we would reach out to you, depend on you, and follow you, Lord, with everything that we have. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name.